with me again in prayer. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There is a very widespread movement within the Christian culture in America that religion is bad and that the only thing that matters is that you love Jesus Christ. On his face, there's a lot of truth in that statement. The Bible certainly does condemn empty religion. Isaiah says, when you come before me, uh, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and and cannot endure iniquity and your solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. And so Isaiah is saying to the, the, uh, the hypocritical worship that was taking place in, in Jerusalem that um, their worship was a burden because on the one hand they were going through the motions and on the other hand they were robbing the poor and taking advantage of the weak. The book of James says, But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And so he's saying, uh, if you have an empty faith, if your faith and your confession are at opposite ends of the spectrum, even though you have uh, a belief in God, well now... He says, you're only qualified to be a demon. We could look at many more passages. The Bible says, without equivocation, that God hates religious hypocrites. Peter says that hypocrites are springs without water. How can you have a spring without water? Jesus says they are like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside but on the inside are full of bones and of the dead and everything unclean. On the outside they appear to people as righteous but on the inside they are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. If you find yourself uh, living in contradiction to your confession, the Lord Jesus came and died for people such as you. He came to seek and to save the lost. The worst thing you can do is put on the religious airs. Put on the religious works. And try and fake your way through before God. God will not be uh, fooled. And He knows our hearts And so I would just urge you, come to Him. The Lord Jesus came and died on the cross for sinners. He came and died on the cross for hypocrites. Come to Him, repent of your hypocrisy, and entrust yourself to Him.
That being said, I want to address the twofold difficulty that uh, comes with this idea that religion is bad and the only thing that matters is that you love Jesus. First, the Bible says that religion is good. Uh, If God and His purposes are at the center of how you are living, then then your religion, God says, is pure and righteous. Um... The book of James says, um, or the book of James, which unmistakably condemns hypocrisy, says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. In other words, there is a religion that is pure and undefiled. And he says, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So, there's a problem with saying that religion is bad because God says, True and undefiled, religion is good. Second problem with this idea that religion is bad is the inference that religious institutions, therefore, are bad and that, therefore, the church is bad and, therefore, following from that, that church membership is bad or at least unimportant or optional. Our sermon this morning... Uh, will teach us that pure and undefiled religion, taking care of orphans and widows, uh, is a requirement for the church, and that church membership is clearly implied um, as a requirement for all believers who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like to look at this issue of church membership, um, but look at it through the lens of the widow's list uh, that uh, Joe just read about from our passage in verses 1 through 16. Uh, I would like for you to look, first of all, at verses 9 through 11. In verse 9, Paul says, let a widow be enrolled. In verse 11, he says, but refuse to enroll younger widows. So there's membership roles. For the widow's list. Being on the widow's list in the early church was more than just a piece of paper with some names on it. There were conditions. There were behaviors that were expected if you were going to be on the the widow's list. You were required to meet these expectations, these conditions, these behaviors before you could be allowed on the list. The widows also had to take a solemn vow before being placed on the widow's list. Now, a word of explanation about this widow's list in the early church. Uh, There were many, many widows in the early church. There were so many widows in the early church that the first church controversy was not about Gentiles coming to faith, but it was about how to feed the many widows that were in the church. You can read about that in Acts chapter 6. There was no social security program in the early church. There was no social welfare programs in the first century uh, for the elderly or for anyone. And widows were especially um, in danger if they were left all alone. They could work, but then they would likely be robbed 
not to mention many of the other dangers that might befall them. And so the early church, therefore, completely or took complete responsibility for the welfare of the widows. They fed them, they housed them, and they became, or the church became, these widows' family. This was not a new innovation for the early church. The Old Testament set the foundation for this, for this care of the widows. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 17 and 18 says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Deuteronomy chapter 10, God is establishing the foundation for society in Hebrew life. And so this is part of that found, one of those foundation planks for how the Israelites were to treat the elderly, the widow, the orphan, even the sojourner um, in their land. Psalm 68 verse 5 says the, that God is, well, it says, the father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. And there are numerous Old Testament passages that express the same thing. There are numerous examples. Elijah um, ministering to the widow. Elisha ministering to the, the widow who had the children and they went and gathered the, uh, the jars that, uh, and God provided the oil. Uh, Ruth. Um, God provided for Ruth. God has a special place in his heart for orphans and for widows. That being said, it is surprising then that Paul is so rigid in his requirements for who can be on the widow's list. Look again with me at verses 9 through 12. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. And I think that's being a faithful wife. Uh, She's a one-man woman. Uh, you know, if her first husband died and she was faithful to him, and then her second husband died and she was faithful to him, her third husband died and she was faithful to him, she would still be a one-man woman. She'd be faithful to him. And so I think that's what Paul's saying. Uh, In fact, we addressed that earlier in 1 Timothy in regard to a minister. And then it goes on, verse 10, And having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and then they incur condemnation for abandoning and when it says their former faith, I think the idea here is that they have abandoned the vow that they made when they entered onto the widow's list. So, um, it seems clear from this passage, and what we also learn from the uh, writings of the early church fathers, that when a widow was placed on the widow's list, They essentially worked full-time for the church. They came on staff, so to speak. They cared for the sick. They cared for the orphans. They visited the Christians in prison. They evangelized the pagan uh, ladies in the community. They taught the female converts in preparation for baptism. Uh, We see hints of that in Titus where 
the older women are to, to teach the younger women. Uh, women's ministry in the early church w- was led by the widow's ministry. Harkening back to my sermon a few weeks ago on women in ministry, uh, the early church was especially known for its mercy. And the tip of the spear for showing mercy was the widow's ministry in the church. The deacons ministered to the widows so that the widows could effectively minister to the needy. Listen again to verse 10. And having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. In other words, the widow should, should have um, been able to demonstrate that she was, um, she was faithful in showing good works and ministering to others so that then they could have an expectation that she would be effective in her ministry as being on the, the, uh, the widow's list. As important as their ministry was, the widow's ministry, the widow's list, had an even more important ministry than showing mercy. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. Through their absolute dependence upon God, they have learned the importance of prayer. And so these widows on the widow's list are praying night and day. Do you remember Acts chapter 9 where Dorcas died and Peter raised her to life? The house where Dorcas lived apparently was filled with widows. Or Acts chapter 12, when Peter was released by an angel in the middle of the night from jail, he went to the home of John Mark's mother. And her home was filled with women praying in the middle of the night. Presumably, these are where the widows lived and undergirded the early church with continual prayer. One is reminded of Anna in Luke chapter 2 who prayed day and night in the temple. And the church, the early church, has taken up this practice. And like Anna, has gathered the ladies of the church, the widows of the church, to devote themselves in prayer for the church. Ladies, you can probably guess what I'm about to say next. No matter how helpless you may feel when it comes to serving the church, You have a vital, a very important ministry here at Westminster. Westminster Presbyterian Church depends on your faithful and ongoing, continued prayer. They have said that the work of the church is prayer. I believe that. Prayer is important, ladies. Showing mercy and praying for the church is so very important, and we so very much appreciate you for it. I remember Polly Fleming, and uh, I would go and visit her, and she would often become discouraged that she could no longer sing in the choir because of her, her uh, ability, lack of oxygen. And then she would bemoan um, the fact that as her breathing 
uh, difficulties increased. She couldn't come to church anymore. But she did what she could do. She prayed faithfully uh, for her church families. Ladies, please don't take for granted the importance of your prayers for the church. This is your job description. Susan Hunt has said, It seems to me that widows have entered into a dimension of dependence upon God that prepares them for the ministry of intercessory prayer. The widow's might, M-I-T-E, was recognized and commended by Jesus because she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Perhaps the widow's might, M-I-G-H-T, is most mighty when these women band together as help, helper defenders in intercessory prayer. Older women who did not have the daily responsibilities of jobs or another power um, had the, the power source for intercessory prayer. Being on the widow's list required the widows to take a vow because their responsibilities to the church were so vital. It really was a full-time job to be on the widow's list. There were no Sunday-only widows on the widow's list. Uh, There were no part-time widows on the widow's list. Look at verses 5 and 6. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. In other words, being on the widow's list was a full-time calling. Furthermore, if they were not keeping busy for the kingdom of God, then Paul says they were open to the temptation of being an idler or a gossip. Look at verse 13. Besides that, they learned to be idlers, going about from house to house, Not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. In other words, Paul saying, if it were not a full-time job, if they were not keeping busy doing this, then they might be fill their time uh, doing something that would be not helpful to the church, but possibly destructive to the church. Because of the solemnity of the vow and the importance of the work that they were doing, the ladies had to be interviewed by the leadership of the church, presumably by the deacons, uh, before they were allowed to be on the widow's list. If they failed to qualify, then they did not receive the mercy allotment. What were the qualifications? Well, verses 9 and 10. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. The widow, as it said, had to be at least 60 years old. She had to have been faithful to her husband, and she must have had a reputation for good works. This is a reminder that the mercy of the church is not an entitlement. You see what Paul's doing here? He is saying, these ladies are entitled to the mercy allotment. Other ladies who fall outside this should not be put on the widow's list. This is a reminder 
um, or rather the church has a responsibility to identify people's real needs and their commitment uh, to God and to the church. This means that deacons will need to ask personal questions. What resources do you have if, you, if someone's coming for mercy? Is there anyone in your family who can help? What, what, um, what do you really need to get by? And very importantly, are you walking with the Lord? And uh, we could go on and on. So it's up to the deacons then to make judgments about who they can help, how they can help, how they should help. And I will say this, I've said this before, I'll say it again. The deacons at Westminster have done an outstanding job of performing these kinds of interviews. Uh, Bill Peck's not here today, I was going to mention him because he set the bar high when he was a deacon. He really worked at this and uh, I think the deacons have uh, done a good job following uh, the, the, the procedures, policies that he helped set up. I think the deacons feel like they struggle at this part of the ministry because it's so difficult. So I wanted to give them this encouragement. One more word about qualifications. Paul said that the nuclear family is the first line of ministry for the widows. Look at verse 3 and 4. Honor, honor widows who are truly widows. If a widow has a children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. And then going on to verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Non-Christians sense a duty to their relatives. Therefore, Paul is saying that a Christian who refuses to shoulder the responsibilities of his family is worse than an unbeliever. Philip Ryken says, any dereliction of this fundamental uh, family duty is tantamount to a denial of Christ. No matter how eloquent the man's testimony may be, his life denies his Christianity. So, those are the qualifications. I bet at this point you had forgotten, or thought I had forgotten about the issue of church membership. I haven't forgotten, I've just been building the case. Throughout the book of Acts, the church was counting heads and keeping records. The church knew who her members were, in other words. Not only that, they shared their lives in common, Acts chapter uh, 2. And the book of Acts does not command um, church membership because it was everywhere assumed. Just as widows were enrolled in the widows list, converts to Christ were enrolled in the church, Acts 2.41. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. They were added to the church. They were added to the roles of the church. Or Acts chapter 4, verse 4. Many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Or we could look at it from the opposite point of view. There were people who were disenrolled through church uh, discipline, Ananias and Sapphira. Others, as you look at uh, Matthew chapter 18, 
You look at um, 1 Corinthians, um, a man who was acting so immorally, Paul said, remove him from your number. Put him under the care of Satan for a while. And then in 2 Corinthians, he says, receive him back among your number. I hope you can see that church membership is not just a man-centered invention. Uh, I will submit to you that it is impossible to practice biblical Christianity without church membership. And I hope to do that next week as I continue to look at these uh, 16 verses in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5. What should we learn from this passage this week? I confess that I could be a better pastor to our widows. Um, and I aim to be. I aim, and I'm, I'm thankful for the ministry of some in our church that are so faithful to our widows and our shut-ins that we have a strong ministry to our widows and to our shut-ins because of um, those who would not want to be named are so faithful. I need to keep widows and shut-ins as a top priority for my ministry and the ministry of our church. And if you have not given due consideration to our widows and and our shut-ins, I would call you to come alongside and uh, make sure that, that we are being as faithful to our widows and our shut-ins as Paul is calling us to be to the widows who are on the widows' uh, list. You know, I think this passage has a lot yet to be really tilled. I think there's a lot of wisdom here in this passage that, that the, church has in, the church as a whole hasn't given due consideration to. Even Calvin, in my reading, he said... Um, even in my own church in Geneva, we haven't done uh, what, what Paul is calling us to do in regard to, to widows. So, I think we leave a lot of gospel responsibility unfulfilled uh, by not giving this passage the attention it deserves. And I hope that we will do that. Secondly, if you're visiting with us, I'd, I'd like to invite you to attend our Interquires class this Friday evening and Saturday morning and uh, hear what we have to say about church membership, about life here at uh, Westminster Presbyterian Church in our church family. And then thirdly, for our members. I'll talk more about this next week uh, as we consider life in God's household. But I want to encourage you now, remember your church vows. God held the widows to their vows. How are you doing in holding to your church vows? All your church vows are rooted in the grace of God. Everything that you vow to when you become a member, Christ has said that He will will abundantly give you so that you can be faithful. So seek Him for grace to be obedient, to be faithful, to be growing in your uh, obedience to the vows that you have vowed to Him. Let's pray together. Almighty God, this passage is very interesting in that it um, gives us a slice of church life that uh, we often don't consider. And we see not only 
the uh, faithfulness of the church to the widows. We see the widows' faithfulness to the gospel ministry and to prayer. God, help us to grow as a ministry uh, in this area of ministry. Uh, and so honor and glorify you. And uh, through the, the, the work of our widows, our shut-ins, um, I pray that, that the ministry here at Westminster Presbyterian Church would be a light shining on a hill. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.